You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and today we're talking to author and psychotherapist Jay Stringer about his book, Unwanted, and we are really digging in deep here. So I'm so happy you're joining us for a very special episode. I have been waiting for the right moment to talk about this sensitive topic, and I am so happy to have been patient. This is hard for me as a seven to find an amazing fit. I have worked with many couples over the years on unwanted sexual behaviors, and recently I needed more resources. I needed better resources. I know we're always building on our resources, and I know that we get new information about trauma, trauma being a fairly young science, so it's so wonderful to have a chance to just see what God has brought to fruition through Jay's research on thousands of individuals about their deepest sexual wounds, and to be able to share that with you guys. And I can also share from a personal and a helper hat that I've been able to grow as well from reading this book. And I've also enjoyed sharing it with clients. So it's hitting us on a profound level. It's our honor to have Jay with us today. Before we bring him on, I also have another exciting book series I'll be sharing more about because I want to make sure that as you're doing your work on your sexual brokenness, that you also have a chance to delve in to something very personal to you per your personality type. So stay tuned for both of these exciting talks. And because I also like to make sure we're on this journey together, I want to remind you, we have focused on varying glow pairings this season two of this podcast, and we're going to continue to round that season out through the rest of the summer, interspersed with shows like this to keep everybody getting what they need. That is truly my goal here is that all marriages would be helped in relationships, not just the one eight pairing or the six nine pairing, but I think that's important too, and we can all learn from each other's stories. But one of the most important things I I want to remind you guys of is your ongoing self-care while you listen. So you put that oxygen mask on while you help others. That was a big focus in our Enneagram and Marriage Certification course this week. And then I also want to help you to make sure that you guys continue to try to find balance with your instincts dominating. That's been an ongoing piece of work we've all been doing. So I hope you're doing well on that. I've been tiptoeing out of the quarantine life with you guys and had some major faux pas in the past week when we had those friends visit. And we'll talk about this types in just a second here because I know you're eager from our mystery episode to hear them. But what was so funny was I was so embarrassed coming out of my self-preservation kind of haunting me because two times in the last couple of weeks, I had to exit social situations because of my crock pot (laughs) or near exit them. And it was so embarrassing because it wasn't even uh, a good excuse like or more in vogue excuse like my instant pot from like 2019. No, it was like the 2009 crock pot that I had left on in the morning because I'm not used to going anywhere. And one day I had left it on and Wes said, Krista, make sure you shut that off today because you left it on yesterday and it burnt something up. So I was really mindful of it. I wanted to do my marriage work and then left the house, not used to this, and was at a play with my students' friends. And I'm like, no, my crock pot. And they're like, hey, you can keep our daughter to go out to eat. And I'm like, I have to go home and tend to our crock pot. (laughs) My daughters were just like, she has a roast. And we were all so embarrassed. And then like a few days later when the friends were in town, we were downtown St. Pete just hanging out, having so much fun. And I'm like, oh, shoot, the crock pot. So I was grateful we got to have fun. All crises were averted. But please, do remember that it's important to kind of gracefully as much as possible balance out those instincts. And lastly, before 
our guest comes on, I want to remind you guys that with the Taylors last week, we were guessing what couple pairing they were. As you may have seen on my Instagram stories, they were the one nine pairing. Sears is a social one and Elisa is the self-preserving nine. And I gave tons of reasons why that's true. If you're now saying, oh my gosh, there's no way. But I was so happy that somebody guessed it right. And I won't give you her last name, but Giovanna did an awesome job and she's a nine wing one also. And so she said it takes one to know one and she had a lot of clues. And I also wanted you guys to know that Sears said, for those who guessed he was a seven, he said, I was in my seven mode totally. I was on vacation. So that was fun. And he has an eight overlay in his family. So for those who guessed eight, he has a lot of eight tendencies, but he knows his type at the core. He knows his core desires, motivations. And if you re-listen, you can hear some social one. But what was funny is I couldn't say he's one of my husband's best friends because we do tend to pick friends who are similar to us. And you guys, because I felt like that would be such a giveaway. So anywho, I will try to do another mystery game with you sometime, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. But I am so ready to dive into today's episode with you now because we are now hopefully balancing and hopefully have had some fun, and now we're ready to really learn together, and it'll be fun too, just a different kind. So let's introduce Jay Stringer. And I do want to let you know, he's recording from NYC, so you get the added benefit of some sounds in the background of the city, and that was very calming for me, so I hope you guys enjoy that part of the interview as well, but especially the content. Okay, let's have Jay come on now. Well, Jay, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming. Krista, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's an honor to be here. Well, yeah, thank you. We are actually covering this topic because as you guys know, listening, sex is one of the biggest areas of struggle for couples and we've covered it from different angles. I've been waiting and praying for the guest that could help us through this particular area of unwanted sexual behavior and thoughts and pornography use. And it was a really cool way that I got a hold of Jay Stringer. So you guys know I've been chatting about his book on the podcast recently and a bit on Instagram. So we're just extra delighted to have you, Jay. And of course, knowing this is an Enneagram show, can you tell us you and your wife's types? Yes. Uh, so I'm a type three and my wife is a type four. So when I first met my wife, when we were in grad school, uh, the artist in her was definitely just full of my <laughs> idolatry of how she could really push along my desire to be seen as an achiever and just, I mean, pursuing her for the reflection of who she could be for me was in full swing. Oh my goodness. And who you guys could be for each other, right? As both of you being heart types, I bet that was very fulfilling and thrilling. It was very fulfilling, and there were so many moments of just madness as well. Um, I think just part of the reality that, you know, I've had to face is, you know, just being a three, there's, there's such an emphasis on uh, the amount of recognition that I'm receiving and who I am. And a lot of just that false self is, you know, I had instill in kind of working through that sense of I have a reflected sense of self. And so whether that's my book, whether that's who I'm around, how clean my house looks, all these things are reflections back to me about who I am. And uh, it's, yeah, the, the goodness and the thrill of being with the heart type 
Okay. So yeah. So tell me a little bit about that three, four dynamic and what that's been like for you, that bold three with the romantic four, I call that bold (laughs) romance. So tell us about that. Bold romance. I have not heard that before. Uh, it is, it is bold romance and in conflict. Uh, so just, you know, being a type three, someone who is very concerned about the image that I have and just the need to achieve particular things. Uh, a lot of the first few years of our marriage, I would just say were uh, just full of conflict. You know, one story that comes to mind is, you know, my wife being a four just derives so much energy from being around people and wanting to really be known. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, you know, we were poor graduate school students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just could not stand the way that our house looked. We lived in a really old rental in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so the concept of having friends over to be able to make a meal, to be able to have a cocktail, there was just always the sense that the house needed to be perfect. Everything needed to have the appearance of things mm-hmm. and she was just like no that is not the way that life is supposed to be that's not authentic and so just mm-hmm. those types of general themes were definitely things that we have had to work through and I think you know one of the just core realities of any of the types really is that most of us have a reflected sense of self and so mm-hmm. looking to her to be able to reflect back to me an image of someone who matters in this world or married a woman who's an artist that was all kind of a sense of just fueling my own idolatry for the way that I wanted to be perceived mm-hmm. and in that sense is once I have made my wife an idol uh, I cannot actually love her well and so I think just that's been a lot of the conflict uh, mm-hmm. that we have I think with a boldness have <laughs> worked through <laughs> but also with a sense of grace of just kind of recognizing uh, how do we actually love one another with boldness that's not just uh, giving one another, you know, the, the spouse that we think that we want um, because mm-hmm. of the way that our types and our stories meld together, but really getting a sense of uh, how to engage one another with a lot of grace, but also a lot of truth. So uh, mm-hmm. it has it's been a bold romance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can just see it with you guys having that way of getting to her as a four, where you're saying we need to have this lifeblood of achieving in our marriage and her saying, wait a second, I love you just the way you are and how healing that is. But I think with a lot of couples where there is such an opposition and my husband and I are the same way, there's also it's frightening to do the work in these bold <laughs> ways, right? <laughs> Yes, because it is so healing, but there is such a, a, just a sense of suspicion of, yeah, you're saying those things, but I don't really trust you because whether it's my type or whether it's my story, I have had to be a particular way in order to make my life work. So the, the conflict isn't just that I don't trust. It's that, no, don't take me away from the way that I have learned how to maneuver through life. Uh, I'm not interested in changing my game at this point. So, oh my goodness, right? Because of our attachment wounds, it's complex. And I love that marriage is a safe place to heal that trauma potentially. Mm-hmm. And those listening have been doing their work and they're, they're really sometimes hitting almost no stumbling blocks. But one of the biggest and one of the reasons I have you on today is because you have found some breakthrough with this huge area where couples really don't want to leave their comfort zones. So I'm just so excited, beyond excited to talk to you about 
how the book Unwanted was born. I can't even imagine because it's so different from the other books on the market. Yes. Uh, So the birth of Unwanted. So the book is titled Unwanted, How Sexual Brokenness Reveals Our Way to Healing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of where I would begin uh, in talking about it is I would say that if you grew up uh, in a conservative circle, a Christian circle, or just even uh, if the word addiction is something that you tend to use for out of control sexual behavior, mm-hmm. I would say that this paradigm, uh, the paradigm that Christians use is, is really about lust management. And mm-hmm. so it's this sense that, uh, you know, I might struggle with pornography, an extramarital affair, buying sex, hookup apps, those sorts of things. But the way mm-hmm. to manage that is, uh, to try to, you know, put a rubber band around my wrist, to be able to slap it when I'm having an inappropriate thought, maybe installing some type of internet monitoring on your computer, maybe getting into some type of group. Uh, But as one of my friends said to me when I was writing my book, he said, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner for 15 years, something isn't working. And so uh, most of the Christian approach has, has been this sense of suppression, that if I can just kind of uh, you know, kind of like a beach ball underwater. If I can just kind of keep pushing this thing down, then I might actually be able to find victory in sexual brokenness. And yet, uh, at, after you've done that for a handful of years, you know that that approach doesn't really work. But then on the more progressive side of life, uh, I would say that this approach kind of looks at sexual shame and stigma as the primary issues in our culture today. Mm-hmm. And so the thinking is if we could just reduce people's sexual shame mm-hmm. uh, and help them to just kind of be okay with their sexual choices, they wouldn't go and pursue nearly as many unhealthy sexual behaviors. But, uh, you know, while I have no issue at all with reducing shame and stigma, what I find lacking in this approach is that it really doesn't invite people into meaning of why is it that this particular porn search or this particular affair partner actually appeals to me in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so with Unwanted, what I really wanted to do was to be deeply curious about why we do what we do. So Mm -hmm. instead of just trying to manage shame or manage lust, what if we could actually allow the, the sexual difficulties in our lives to become a roadmap to healing. And so to do that, I did some research on about 4,000 men and women. Mm -hmm. And I got a sense of, uh, you know, some people that took the assessment, Krista, just kind of said, this was one of the most invasive questionnaires that I've ever filled out. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Because I asked about their mothers. I asked about their fathers. I asked about core experiences like childhood sexual abuse or bullying. Uh, But Mm -hmm. then I also went into... Uh, people's sexual fantasies. So I asked questions about their, uh, you know, what their porn searches were, what type of affair partner that they actually pursued. And then I put all of that together and had a team at New York University handle all the analytics with it. Mm-hmm. And it was just such an astounding research project to kind of realize that unwanted sexual behavior was both shaped and predicted based on the parts of our story that we had not been addressed. And so that's where I got to that conclusion that mm-hmm. our sexual brokenness can be a roadmap to healing, not this life sentence to sexual shame or sexual addiction. Oh my goodness. And I'm guessing as a fellow helper that 
just your work was so inspiring in this, in the sense that we do come upon these, like you said, outdated ways of dealing. And it doesn't mean they don't have any success, of course. It's just we continue to learn with time and add to the research. And I would imagine that that was what brought you to that place because I certainly know that that was what was creating a pause for me on really getting to address this topic well with people. So is that true that just in your own therapy practice that that this kind of thing kept coming up? Yes. I I mean, people were arriving in my office with virtually no understanding of what to do about sexual brokenness. And so just, you know, very similar to you, like seeing the pattern play out time and time again, where, you know, you know, if we're talking about just Enneagrams, right, like a type nine man that shows up, but he is a very compliant man, at least with his wife, the the couple that I'm thinking about, she was a type one, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, could show up very compliant. Uh, But if you pressed him on how do you actually feel about your wife needing to keep the house perfect and everything being perfect, part of what he would begin to own up to is that there is actually some anger there. And so part of the, the, the strategy for unwanted sexual behavior was, I'm not going to confront my wife directly, but I'm going to make her pay through my use of pornography in order to kind of get back at her for this kind of compliance that I have to live into. And so I think just kind of seeing some of these patterns mm-hmm. of just like, whoa, uh, just a lust centered paradigm is not nearly adequate. There's so much more going on, uh, mm-hmm. like with things like anger. There's so much more going on with things like attachment theory uh, mm-hmm. or just adverse childhood experiences like childhood sexual abuse, like all of these wounds, all of these stories end up informing who we become as a sexual self. Mm, Yes. And we've talked a lot about emotionally focused couples therapy on this podcast and how couples who are able to do this deeper work really get at these core issues a lot easier. But what I love here is you're saying this is even work we can do together as spouses to help one another to reduce the shame. And that is a different angle than just talk to your accountability partner and try to go for a jog. Uh, This is really neat that you also mentioned nines in particular, because with the research we've done over here, we've noticed that one and nine is actually the most common pairing that we know of for Enneagram couples. Yeah. So that is very important dynamic you mentioned. A handful of them. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. And so that's really important that uh, that we recognize when there's a, a partner who is saying, hey, I, I have a power differential and we know that there's the pursuer distancer cycle. So that distancer usually has the power. And it's so important that we try to have the equanimity, not just as our type four work, but as our marriage work so that we have a partnership. And I just, I'm glad that you kept going and persevered as the three that you are to find this route that we all needed to see. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just one of the stories that that often comes to mind when people ask about the genesis of this work or my book was I grew up uh, as a pastor's kid and, mm-hmm. you know, it was a smaller Presbyterian church. And so when people would try and reach my dad, uh, they would do so at the church office. And then if they couldn't get a hold of him, they would end up calling our 
home phone. And the secret about the Stringer family is that we never picked it. It wasn't a secret. It was just the the reality that the Stringer family never picked up their phone. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we could be at dinner and just uh-huh. hear uh, particular places of crises that people in our church were going through. And one of them was often the realm of sexual brokenness, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, want to name that it's inappropriate to have an answering machine uh, that children are hearing. The, yes, the I read that in your book. Of. So, yeah, so I'll, I can talk further about that. But one of the things that really impressed upon me during that time was just like people tell the truth of their lives through their crises, um, that it is often the sexual brokenness. It's an affair. It's a pornography. It's, it's something that allows uh, a particular crucible for people to really understand and have a particular breakthrough with their life. And so that's really what I'm interested in doing with my work and in marriages is I, I'd never want to normalize the reality of sexual brokenness, but oftentimes it becomes one of those necessary crucibles that a marriage has to go through in order to understand their story, to understand their attachments, to understand why they found each other to begin with, mm-hmm. and then to begin the path of restoration. And so, uh, that's what I have loved about this work is that um, the conflict, the crisis actually allows people to enter more deeply into an understanding of their story and also enter into the grief of how that all came to be. So if I were to just kind of stick with just that story of the nine, I mean, that was part of, again, this particular client. And again, I'm making, I'm blending different people's stories together, but a sense of growing up in a fairly religious fundamentalist home and that sense of two-stepping between this is who my family needs me to be on Sundays versus I need to be able to escape this way of life because fundamentalism doesn't have love. It doesn't have grace into it. It's it's about performance. Mm -hmm. And so for this particular man, it wasn't just the crisis of look at how immoral I am, but really helping him go back to his initial involvement with pornography actually allowed him his first escape from a very dogmatic system. And so that's, you know, what I invited him into is can you begin to honor the birthplace of pornography in your life? And how did that addiction, how did that compulsive behavior serve you initially before it began to be something that's really bringing in a lot of heartache to your marriage? And I think if a couple can really hold those two realities of Uh, I need to understand the story of the sexual brokenness Mm -hmm. and also step into the grief of how they are using sexual brokenness as a form of anger or revenge against their spouse. I think that's really when couples really heal is I'm going to have integrity for how I have harmed you, but I'm also going to do the difficult, vulnerable work to understand how this addiction, this compulsive behavior formed in the first place. Mm, Yes, I think that is so key. And it reminds me of the quote that I shared from Sue Johnson today, the founder of EFT, who said in moments of disconnection, when we cannot safely engage with our lover, we naturally turn to the way of coping that we adopted as a child, the way of coping that allowed us to hold on to our parent, at least in some minimal way. So it just it brings a lot of healing when you're able to say this started with something very broken fundamentally. 
And now Mm -hmm. I have the courage and I'm creating the space. And I love that you're prompting them gently. I know that's how we work as helpers, that Mm -hmm. you are giving them the opportunity to do this sacred work and to go through that crucible, which will be painful, but I think less painful than just continuing to put the Band-Aid on. (laughs) Yes, very well said. Yeah, I'm so thankful. I think it's been such a refreshing drink of water. I'm sure it's created you to be very busy, even busier. So we're so grateful. But I also wanted to ask you about something in the book that intrigued me because I do know as a thinking type that sometimes the fives, sixes, and sevens out there, we really do get anxious and need a lot of self-soothing. We do a lot of stimming behaviors. So I was wondering if you could clarify just the difference between unwanted sexual behaviors for self-soothing versus shame. I know yes. that's huge. <laughs> so. it, it is a, it's a big question, but I think it's, it's a really important question. Uh, so one of the things that is, I would just say it's not quite universally accepted is that when you look at behaviors like pornography, extramarital affairs, buying sex, there's often this language of, you know, this is what I'm doing for self-medicating behavior. This is something that I'm doing to just be able to self-soothe. And so this is an unhealthy form of self-soothing. And I will never, ever disagree with that. Uh, but I think it's far more complex than that. So each of us have a particular core wound or core narrative, right? So the Enneagram might talk about it in terms of what is you know, the core wound of your life. If you're doing a treatment like EMDR, it's what's the negative core belief about who you are. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm weak. I'm ugly. I'll never be enough. And so part of what I have found both in the research, but also in the intensives that I do with men and women is that, uh, yes, maybe something like pornography can be a type of self-soothing behavior that is a form of dissociation from the difficulties of life, from the loneliness of life. Uh, but far more, I think the power of unwanted sexual behavior is that it reinforces core judgments against who I am. Um, and I think that there's a major difference there between I don't think that we're just pursuing these behaviors for self-medicating. Mm-hmm. I think that we are pursuing these behaviors to provide irrefutable evidence that we are broken beyond repair. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as a three, if there's a sense that part of my core wound is that you know, I just, I need to achieve because that's how I'm going to be valued because I'm never going to fully be valued. Well, if I act out sexually, yes, I've self-soothed something of just the exhaustion of being a three, right? Mm-hmm. But also far more, I have pursued a, a particular form of evidence that says, yes, this is your true and permanent condition, Jay. Uh, mm-hmm. Whatever you struggle with, this is evidence uh, that you uh, will never be good enough. And then that creates the cycle of addiction is that, okay, now I have to earn it even more. Uh, I need to mm-hmm. kind of present this public self uh, that has it even more together, that achieves more in order to distract myself and others from the core reality of my life. And so I think, again, just that two-handed approach of, yes, mm-hmm. please honor that your sexual brokenness is a form of self-soothing and dissociation, but also will you look at the reality that after you've done this a thousand times, (laughs) you know what that feels like inside to feel like crap, to feel that sense of judgment. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's where integrity really comes in is 
yes to self-soothing, but far more. Why, why do I need further evidence that this wound is permanent? Mm. Oh, yeah. And that really helps us to differentiate between just behavior modification styles of therapy. You might go in for CBT and say, okay, I just want to switch this up. But what you're really doing is layering the work here as we look at these above ground, upper level brain issues of, oh, I'm anxious. So maybe I do, maybe I use my new fidget as all the kids are doing, but there's something going on deeper. And I started my psychological studies because I loved this model of moving down the stair step when there's deeper issues with integrative problem centered therapy by William Pinzoff over at Northwestern in the Chicago area. But but what I love about Enneagram is it kind of takes that natural framework and drives people into deeper work anyway. So I love the 40-day journals out, which I'm going to be talking about in a moment here. But I want to let you guys know that it's really important that you do your lower brain work that he's talking about here because this is where the core issues are. And I'm just going to take a pause here because right when I say that, that I want you guys to do your core work. And some of you ask me, how do I do this core work? So in a little while, you're going to hear Jay talk about his programs and his book. But while you're going through your own growth work, everybody's always asking me, which Enneagram book should I get? And this is even why I started this podcast and my Instagram account, because people always want to know what is the book to get. I love reading, and I know most of you do too. Inner Varsity has a new series called Enneagram Daily Reflections. And each one of the nine books is about 40 days on being that type. All of the books are on pre-order or already out. And the one book by Juanita Campbell Rasmus and the, the seven book by Gideon Yisheng Tang are phenomenal, as are the others that I've been able to preview. And I'm so grateful because honestly, these books go deep. This is your chance and your opportunity to take a walk with somebody of each type, even if you're not that type. And these podcasts and, and the readings we all do online, they get you part of that because they get you that experience of okay, this is what it's like to marry a seven or a two or a four. But these books actually help you to see the insides of what it feels like. And I laughed, I've been uncomfortable through them. And yet, I wanna say and yet, because they're not gonna just leave you in the discomfort. You actually get a lot of opportunity and steps. Sometimes insight is not enough and we need action steps. And that's what I also love about these 40-day books is that you have various key poems and prayers and reminders for you on how you can let go, how you can reflect Christ more, how you can allow yourself flaws and to be human and see the inherent struggles that I don't get to see in a lot of books. And some of the books in the world are obviously very lofty and have different goals, but these books, not only do I feel the academic splendor, but I also feel such a personal touch of openness. There's such a personal openness and vulnerability that I don't feel ashamed even when I am feeling exposed when I read them. So I hope that you will check them out. I'm sharing them on my Instagram this week as well. So make sure you check out 40 Days on Being Each Type the Enneagram Daily Reflections through InterVarsity, and they are uh, at the IVP website as well as Amazon. So yeah, tell me more about family of origin with all of this, because I know a lot of it stems from that season of life as we've been talking about. 
Yes, so uh, this isn't my research, but uh, the work of Patrick Carnes found that about 78% of people that are struggling with unwanted sexual behavior come from very rigid family homes. Mm -hmm. And about 87% of people struggling with unwanted sexual behavior come from very disengaged family homes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the hallmark of a rigid family is that this is like essentially when rules become weapons. And so that might be, you know, a gaze that your father or mother just gave you when you did something wrong. Uh, maybe there was a sense of uh, if you do not become the person that they want you to be with your grades or your profession or just your sense of holiness, they're going to condemn you. Or it might be a sense of disengagement in your family. And so disengagement could look like the house is far more important than attunement to you. It could be that your mother or father's jobs were far more important than them pursuing you. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening within rigid and disengaged family homes is that there is a core wound that gets developed and there's a certain self-state that essentially gets fixed. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to imagine, you know, maybe being an eight-year-old boy, and you have a fairly rigid father who, when you were just trying to play uh, or enjoy something in life, uh, he hit you for it or ridiculed you for something. Mm -hmm. Like part of that wasn't just him being rigid. It was him overpowering you. It was giving you a sense that you are helpless. And so what ends up happening to a kid like that is that he feels a level of helplessness and humiliation in his life. And so that self-state becomes something that he's either trying to reverse or repeat later on in life. And so something like uh, pornography, something like an affair actually gives him a place to reestablish power, to be able to reestablish dominance because he doesn't want to go back to the wound of that boy. Or maybe there was a girl that... Uh, was deeply abandoned uh, by her father, that there wasn't really a sense of his pursuit of her. But she realized that if I'm really helpful around the house, if I inquire about how his day is going, uh, then I'm actually able to get something of a father, something of a mother. And so all of these self-states and all of these strategies that we learn as kids, if they don't ever get addressed, they end up playing out much later in life. And so that's really the point is, can you begin to bridge how this current pattern, this current style of relating is actually trying to give you a window into some of the unresolved realities of your childhood? Right. And oh, wow. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it really ties me back to when you were saying earlier that we believe these lies about who we are and we take the shame on fully. We're kids. We don't know how to say, oh, my parents also are carrying their trauma. And so we have this sense of just childhood innocence and we take it on as we might be bad a lot of the time mm -hmm. and that our core wounds, like you said, are not able to be healed. And one of the quotes that you had in the book was you were quoting somebody else when you talked about how sometimes the person going in to gamble really knows they're going in to lose. And that seemed so profound to me because it reminds you, it sounds like, of this whole cycle of shame and defeat with pornography and these unwanted behaviors and desires. That's a Bono line. Okay, of, no wonder I liked uh, it. I kind of yeah, like him. <laughs> it, I, do, I do too. But 
it's I believe it's the song Every Breaking Wave. And he it's a great song. And one of the lines there is he says, every gambler knows that to lose is what you're really there for. And I just I thought that when I heard that, I just like kept repeating that line over and over again, because I'm like, you know, especially as a therapist, I'm just like that rings so much truer than self-medicating behavior. Why is that? And so I just listened to that song on repeat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you think about the gambler, when you think about any addictive behavior, my friend, mentor, colleague, Dan Allender says it like this. He says, every addiction is an effort to kill hope. And so what I think he means by that is there might be a profound hope in me to have a better marriage. Maybe there's a profound hope in me to be a more present father to my children than my father. Maybe there's a hope in me to be a better mother, maybe a mother who actually also pursued a vocation and work far more than my own mother. So there is a sense that there is a deep hope within each of us. Uh, But the reality of life is that the things that we hope for often do not come to pass. Mm -hmm. And what the Proverbs say is hope deferred makes the heart sick. Mm -hmm. And so if people were just to pause to say, what are you currently hoping for in your life, your career, in your marriage, your relationships? Most of us would say that we, our hope has turned back void. We haven't really gotten what we've desired. And hope is excruciatingly painful when we do not get the object of our hope. And so what ends up happening is that we use addictions. We use Netflix. We use pornography. We use food in order to annul that sense of hope, right? Because if I just look at myself and I'm like, well, I'm just an addict, I'm immoral, and that's why I will never get what I want in my career, my marriage, Mm -hmm. that becomes a form of control so that I don't ever have to face the the difficulties within my marriage or within my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, between Bono and uh, (laughs) Dan Allender, I have learned quite a bit about that. Awesome. Two wise minds. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the Proverbs, Solomon. So we have (laughs) a lot of good people here helping us to get through this complex issue. And that was very helpful for me to hear you consolidate that. Thank you. And I know our listeners are totally tuning in. So I want to ask if you can tell us, obviously, I cannot wait to talk about your book and your outreach for this topic. But tell us first, if there's anything that people at home can start with to find that healthy release, to be that brave person to extend hope a little bit farther. Yeah, it's such a great question. And I immediately feel helpless with it. Um, because it, it's, it, this is a, you know, th- this is a difficult path. I, I think pain on our journey is, is going to happen one way or another. Uh, there's the pain of kind of staying in really broken patterns of relationship. There's the pain that compulsive sexual behavior can cause. Uh, but there's also the pain that as you actually begin to dive into your story and you dive into these particular themes, that's also painful. So who wants to really face uh, how enmeshed their mother was with them? Who really wants to face the abdication of their father? Who wants to yeah. begin to face the impact of something like sexual abuse uh, or bullying? Uh, that when we dive into our stories, we're going to confront places of heartache. And I think this is part of, 
you know, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 4, where he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people want forgiveness. Many people want to outgrow their compulsive sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. Very, very few people that I have met in my office have asked for comfort uh, for that boy, for that girl. Uh, And that's really where people begin to change is not just, I want to get rid of this unwanted sexual behavior, but I really want a place of comfort. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know we mentioned three men, uh, Solomon, (laughs) Dan, and Bono, but I I think of a a woman by the name of Marva Dawn, who is a theologian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of her core premises is that God shows up in places of exile and places of powerlessness in our lives. And so if we are to be looking for the arrival of God, it's often in the desert. It's in the wilderness where we understand something of kindness and transformation. And so I think that's really the the focus is, can you switch from just wanting to end your sexual brokenness or outgrow it or get rid of it? to a posture of how can I actually be curious about what my unwanted sexual behavior is is revealing to me about the unresolved issues in my present and past life. Mm, yes, and I'm really grateful that you're sharing these names, Allender and Marva Dawn. These are names I got to hear a lot at Wheaton and may really enjoy just really getting a chance to delve into your book and others because because these are rare voices, as we were saying earlier. And it isn't because people don't want to heal and grow. Like you said, a lot of them do want to work through forgiveness and compulsions. But mm-hmm. doing this deeper layer of work is why I always on this podcast go back to the story of Jesus saying, uh, drop your stones if you don't have anything going on in your life and the elders being the first to walk away. So yes. when we find elders, we're maybe not in our local church all the time, but especially uh, through the season of COVID, the world church, uh, the world at large, that we can find voices that are helping us to do this brave work. And of course, your local therapists and coaches as well. Yes, yes. Thank you. That's awesome. And now we get to talk about where everybody can find your materials and what you suggest for the different layers of work. Because I know for some people you might say, my book is great, which it is, by the way. And I do want to say when I read it, I had to pause through it, not like my normal fastidious seven and five kind of fury. I had to read it slow, which killed me, but was so good for me and very, you know, very therapeutic, just even as a therapist slash coach now doing this. So that's part of it. But then you have a workbook and you have a course. So maybe you could tell us about all of that. Sure. Thank you, Krista. That's very kind. Mm-hmm. In terms of resources, I would say, yes, start with the book Unwanted. And if that piques some curiosity, uh, then I would say that there's a lot of other resources that you could go into after that. So uh, I have what's called a sexual behavior self-assessment, the SBSA. Mm-hmm. And this is about, a, it's, it's based in the research that I did for Unwanted. So it's about 160 questions, and it's going to give you some compass headings about what is very likely driving 
your unwanted sexual behavior or the unwanted sexual behavior of someone that you love. So it's going to get into family of origin. It's going to get into fantasy types. It's going to get into just the key drivers. And so uh, that's an instrument that you can use. I would say, you know, unwanted helps you stay at, you know, 20,000 feet of, you know, here's part of the land that we need to cover. Here's elements of your story. But then the SBSA is really helping you to go even deeper into your particular story and help you just assess those themes in your life. And then we have the journey course, and this is a five-month program for men and women that really invites people to understand their sexual story, to understand their family of origin, uh, to understand, we didn't talk about this, but one of the key features of my work is really an invitation for people to understand their sexual fantasies Mm -hmm. because they have so much to teach us. And so this course helps you to understand your past. It helps you to understand your fantasies and then it helps you to build the life that you actually want. So those would be three resources. And then if you're looking for just a super deep dive, I do individual intensives. And then after I work with individuals, we'll be open to seeing marriages as well. So yeah, there's, there's resources at all different levels of engagement. So I love that you brought us back to how shall we then live, right? The big question Mm -hmm. of what do we do? We have this open space. And I love how your book guides us into reminders of how we can appreciate the, I would say in Enneagram language, the sexual instinct or the Eros, uh, the side of life that's the joie de vivre. I love that we are, we are going to hear that from you too, if we embrace this beautiful book. So thank you. Yes. And that, I mean, that's such a key distinction is like, this is about Eros. This is about life. So the distinction that we make a lot is that this isn't just freedom from sexual brokenness, but everybody has to say, what is the nature of what my freedom is for? And so in Galatians, it's, it's for freedom that we have been set free. And so that's really the question is like, what do you want out of this one beautiful life that you've been given? And so, uh, you know, addictions steal creative energy. Addictions steal eros and sexuality and good sex and good intimacy in a marriage. And so the reality of when we get free from these things, it's really for the purpose of what is our freedom for within our marriage, within our families, within uh, our sense of vocation and calling in the kingdom of God. Well said. Thank you. That is just exactly what everyone listening needs to hear. It is worth it to do this work. It is such a beautiful release and a giving back of who you were created to be. So I sure hope you guys will check this out. I'm feeling very cheesy and emotional, which is not like me, but I'm so happy. My kids and I always talk about this movie. It's so cute. It's a Christian movie, but the dad, when he's crying at the end of the movie, he's like, I'm overwhelmed <laughs> with happiness. And that's how I feel. So oh, anyway, thank you so much. I don't for know that movie. But... That's okay. It's a great movie called Courageous. Okay. Courageous. <laughs> but, okay. but it's just, you know, it's a cute moment at the end because there's like, of course, so much joy when you get to the the happy ending after the mm-hmm. very hard desert journey in the dark night of the soul just to be able to say there's something beautiful on the other side so thank you for sharing that hope with our audience and with me 
Krista, thank you so much. I mean, I think, and thank you for your courage to take on this topic. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I was aware of just even in our email exchange is I got, you know, one of the glow documents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reality is, is if you want something to glow, if you want goodness, if you want beauty, you have to engage places of brokenness and heartache. And so, yeah, yeah just thank you for your courage to say, you know, it, we can actually enhance our marriages and bring flourish not just through striving for good things, but also going back into places where there hasn't been a lot of grace, there hasn't been a lot of understanding, there hasn't been a lot of light. So Mm. thank you for this opportunity. Well, you're welcome. Yay. Well, I was enthralled to hear another deeper layer of the book and feeling so happy with you that we have additional resources that you can be working on right from home, that you can be working on with your therapist or coach, and that you have his course if you'd like to take that as well. It's very affordable, and he's even available for services individually or later as a couple. So keep that in mind. And as you're doing your Enneagram work at large, please remember the workbooks I'm sharing about. I love that InterVarsity has books for every single type. So I am leaving all of these references in our show notes today. This is an important day to get your your deeper tools today. I am leaving these beautiful tools for you to delve in. And I don't want you to forget that you get a special 30% off by using the code EMPOD30, the number 30. So that's EMPOD30. P-O-D-3-0. And I'm so hopeful for you to make headway that you've never made before. So I hope that you have an amazing week and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.